Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ensure your next purchase is a real deal and shop authentic handbags, watches, sneakers, streetwear and jewellery from eBay, backed by Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. Did you get the caviar I sent you? Golly, I get so much caviar sent to me, I don't know which is yours. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Hilary Busis. And I'm Richard Lawson. We're here to discuss the first two episodes of the Max series and Just Like That. In a moment, Vanity Fair's editor-in-chief, Radhika Jones, will be stopping by to talk about why we picked this series for the next chapter of Still Watching. But first, you already heard her introduce herself. Hilary Busis is joining us for the entire season. Yes. I Chris, sure am. We have Welcome. a new co-host. I know. This is so exciting. We yeah. have a new friend. We have the... to split the pay three ways now. <laughs> yeah. but, oh, gosh. Well, I assume champagne is coming. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Every, every, Chris and I have been drunk the entire time oh, we've yeah. done Still Watching. Yeah. Is all, you know, every episode. <laughs> um, Hilary, we wanted to have you on because we know that you're a big fan of the second in the City Universe, the SATCU. So that's what it will say on my tombstone. <laughs> right, right. It's already made. Um, <laughs> but what is this show, and just like that, and Sex and City, what, what do these shows um, sort of hold for you? I mean, I think my answer is probably similar to both yeah. of yours. I started watching it as a teenager. Um, I... I got a lot of my impressions of New York. Uh, this this show is exactly my age. I uh, think of New York as it is in Sex and the City and Rent. Those are my two, <laughs> two poles. cultural touchstones. Like we had the same youth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So came to college in New York largely on the strength of my love for those two things. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, never, never left. When I first moved to New York City in 2006 in the East Village, the first night I was there, I went out on my fire escape and looked out across Fifth Street and on Second Avenue, and I said, and I thought about rent, and I said to myself out loud, "I made it." <laughs> I thought you were going to say you sang all of Out tonight, and what? Oh, no, then I did that. Yeah, <laughs> I actually did Tango Marine. I don't know what I was thinking, but um, thank God for yeah, the moon. Yeah. Maybe it's not the moon at all. Well, we're really excited to have you for this fantastical journey, Hillary. Before we get into the recap to start this series, we're doing something a bit different. We've called in our editor-in-chief, Radhika Jones, to break down why Vanity Fair has decided to focus on And Just Like That over the next 10 weeks. 
Okay, Radhika, I'm going to brag in front of Hillary and Chris here for a second. We talked about this show in Cannes, France. We did. Over lunch. Over wow. lunch. Uh, God, is this, is this Carrie and Seema in front of us <laughs> yeah, right now? Yeah, basically. Wow. We had a, a bottle yeah. of rosé. We did. We if did. If I recall correctly. From a particular vineyard. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, kind of to my happy surprise, you were like, oh no, I'm advocating for you guys to do And Just Like That for the next season of Still Watching. I'm curious why. Like, what is your connection to this show or the Sex and the City universe at, at large? I'm surprised that you're surprised, <laughs> but okay. I have very fond memories of the original because I had just moved to New York in the fall of 1997, and I remember when the billboards went up for the show, like in spring of 98. And I was finishing my first year of graduate school. I had just moved in with a new roommate, as one does. I was 25 years old, and my roommate Rachel and I kept seeing these billboards around town, and we were like, what is this show? What is this, you know, tutu? Like, what is happening here? (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, of course. And... I just remember very vividly one night we were sitting in our apartment and we were just expressing our ongoing curiosity about this show, Sex and the City. And after a while, we looked at each other and we were like, wait, we're grownups. We can call the cable company. I know I'm dating myself. (laughs) Order HBO and watch this show. So you got HBO for Sex and the City. Got HBO for Sex and the City. And so we did that. We called Time Warner Cable. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I'm sorry to be the oldest person in this room, but... And we were like, okay, we want HBO, you know. And we said, well, when will it be on? And the guy was like, it's on right now. And oh we my and gosh. we turned on HBO. Because Max is the one it. to watch. <laughs> we had it. Fairy tale moment. There it was. And so we watched it. And you know, we were a little bit younger than the four characters at that time. But that was sort of part of the aspiration of watching it. Was like, right. okay, this is just a couple of steps ahead. But we're here in the city, and this is all happening. And you know, it just immediately became shorthand for the stuff that you would experience mm. or your friends would experience over the course of those years that the show ran. I mean, I remember conversations with friends who were dating and, you know, someone would come into breakfast and be like, I went on a date last night and the date brought a date. You know, and it was like these <laughs> sort of immediately like mm. analogous situations that we were all dissecting. And then the landmarks, the places around town, it was such a New York City show and it was just very... You know, it, it was just obviously a lot of fun to watch and feel kind of like, it's okay, this isn't my life, but it's adjacent. And that was really exciting. And to be in New York for that. I mean, I was watching it in college from a, you know, crappy apartment in Boston. And it, the city just seemed so fabulous. And do you feel like you, because you moved to New York right before the show premiered and li- have lived in New York since, did it change the city? Because I feel like there is some sort of thought, school of thought that it did. Like, more people moved here because they watched the show. Brunch became a thing because they watched the show. Did you notice <laughs> then, any of that and happening? Then, and then went away because people... <laughs> and then went away, the yeah. Um, you know, the thing that I think about most often is that it's a pre-9-11 show. Right. Mm. And it made that transition with the city. And the towers were in the original credit sequence. So, to me, it represents a New York that is... No more. I mean, partly just because of the now 25 years that have passed, but specifically because of what happened in 2001 and how the city changed and being in the city changed. And the show kind of made that transition along with all of us. And so, yeah, I think of it as deeply tied to the city and also kind of open in a way like you maybe you weren't wearing Manolo's every day like Carrie Bradshaw. Speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But you could walk by the store and see them, you know, yeah. you could go out to dinner, you could go out to brunch, you could, 
you could have the kind of friendships and relationships, good and bad, that they had on the show. And, and the city was, I don't know, it's like more than a backdrop. It, it always felt to me a little bit like a character. Um, the finale when, um, do you remember when Carrie, she has all those fans in Paris and they arrange a dinner for her? Oh, she, yeah. And then yeah, she yeah. kind of gets to I the dinner the late. She has the sex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that street is Commerce Street. It's one of the few streets in New York City that actually makes a turn, so it sort of looks Parisian. Right. And wow. I know that street because that's where my then-boyfriend, now-husband, lived when we started oh, dating. Wow. So I was always on that street, and I remember watching that episode and being like, oh, that's Commerce Street. It's not Paris, it's Commerce Street. You know? so <laughs> even, when, always... <laughs> even when in Paris, it's still it's a New York. York. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, yeah. exactly. I wonder, how did you feel about the first season event just like that? Like, with the revival, do you still feel as close to these women? I mean, now time has passed, right? We're in a new chapter. We've lost some, R.I.P. Samantha, until the end of this season. How did you feel about the first season event just like that? I watched it with great interest and affection because I, as they have gotten older, I, too— have gotten older, apparently. <laughs> and, you know, your life experiences change, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I I thought it was a brave choice to make that season largely about grief, at least to have that be the precipitating emotion. Mm-hmm. That wasn't so present in the first iteration of Sex in the City. I mean, there were moments of deep emotion and sadness and melancholy but that the kind of grief that Carrie goes through is something that I related to mm-hmm. being at the stage of life that I'm now in. There are things that change that you can't get back. It's not like breaking up with someone. It's forever. Mm-hmm. And you lose loved ones. You lose partners. You lose friends. It happens. It can't be stopped. And I, I, I don't know. I just I felt very moved that the characters were going through that, that she was going through it. And that avenues through which characters started to make new friends. I mean, it happens through your life, but it happens in particular when you go through a milestone stage. You become a parent, and suddenly you make new friends because you have things in common with other people who are parents. And you lose someone, and Mm -hmm. suddenly, you know, her relationship with Seema, which I loved and continue to love, becomes really important because it's there's something that is therapeutic about having someone new in your life when you're starting a new stage. Yeah. So it felt real to you. It did. It felt real. And and look, like, I, my my feeling is I have great affection for all of the women on Sex and the City, not because they're perfect, but because they're flawed and yeah. because you can count on them to mess up. And so, <laughs> and so when that first season of Van Just Like That started conversations about, like, well, why would Miranda do this? or what? It, It's like, because... They're who they are, mm-hmm. and they're not going to ever be perfect, and that would be boring. Yeah, I um, recommend Cynthia Nixon's interview with Joy Press, which is on the site now, um, which she makes basically that same point, which is that she thinks – and that she also thinks a lot of the people who were kind of taken aback by Miranda's choices maybe just feel, you know, they identify with her and seeing her do these things and have to think back to the way that her life was and the way that she is personality-wise, like, reflects badly on them. Right. Which is uh, a it can be a tough pill to swallow if you're a well-meaning white woman. Yeah, you see that reflected. I feel like throughout Sex and the City and now and just like that, the depth of people's engagement with the show, the, the highs and lows of our emotions about it. I hate this person. How could Berger do this with the post-it? You know, all this stuff. It's a really specific and very special kind of engagement. Mm-hmm. And I keep going back to this moment that my roommate and I were like, wait, we can watch this show. This show is for us. And it did feel new at the time. And I think that also is part of the ongoing appeal. Like, it feels 
not quite like anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah. on uh, our Instagram page especially, uh, we got a lot of engagement a week or two ago when we posted a list about the worst men on Sex and the City. Um, yes. There were there were a lot of celebrities who weighed in, Mindy Kaling, Lena Waithe, Katie Couric. Um, and also Kyle MacLachlan weighed in to defend Trey, which yeah. was not something I was expecting to see. Um, <laughs> I, I believe Trey was your pick for the worst. Trey, Trey was my pick for why the worst. Do you, why is he the worst? Well, I just don't think you can dis- Disappoint Charlotte York and get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Disappointing Carrie Bradshaw is obviously going to happen. But the epic disappointment. But as Kyle pointed out, Trey did give Charlotte the apartment. And in New York, real estate does cure all that ails you. Oh, yeah. So I felt like that was a good point. I'm glad that he he raised that. (laughs) I think that something that made the original series so rewatchable and debatable and comment on Instagram aboutable is that the episodes were so definitionally like themed and and discreet like you can say oh that's a great episode and just like that is doing something a bit more serialized each episode isn't organized around one kind of idea in the way that the original series was which you know has frustrated me over the course of watching the show but i also find in watching season 2 to review it and talk to you all about it I just like spending time with them, and I don't really care in what format it is. And (laughs) I don't even really care what happens necessarily. (laughs) I just like seeing kind of my old friends and then I guess meeting meeting some new ones. So, like, the power remains even – because I know that the first season of And Just Like That was in its way controversial. I mean, I think a lot of people weren't happy with it. I'm curious, Radiko, do you have any hopes, expectations for season two? Is there anything you want to see happen or if scared is going to happen? Well, I don't really think much about it because just like you, I'm sort of happy to be in the present with these characters. (laughs) It's very strange. I'm trying to think of an analogy in my own viewing or reading life. There's something almost akin to fan fiction about it. It's like when when a book that you love ends or a TV show that you love ends, and you just want to know what happens to them after, and nobody can provide it because it's in some individual person's imagination. But now we get it. Like, I just want to know what happens to Carrie if it's Monday. I just want to know what she does on Tuesday. <laughs> and then yeah, all of a sudden, not, and now we know she's not doing her thing on Thursday that she was doing on Thursday. Um, Thursdays are out. Thursdays yeah. are free again. So yeah. I, there is, I, I find myself, look, I, I can be an exacting critic, but I find that somehow with this show, it's this show, I'm driven to critique it in terms of discussing it and sort sure. of mm-hmm. discussing the things that work for me or don't work for me or what have you. But n- never, I don't think I'll ever turn it off because I just would rather be with them mm. on what in terms whatever access I can get. Do you have a favorite? Was there one that you felt most connected to, either from Sex and the City or now? And just like that, has that even changed? Oh well. You know, I won't walk you through the various points in my life when I felt like I was a Charlotte or maybe a Miranda or maybe I was Carrie all along. Sorry. Um, And I have more Manolas in my closet now than I did in 1998, which is nice. They are very comfortable shoes. But I'll tell you, I love I really love Seema in and just like that. I, I just think she's a terrific character. Sorry, De Chowdhury has such presence and just seems to own the space that she has walked into. And I think her interactions with Carrie are very genuine. They feel like a real friendship to me. Uh, an adult an, friendship. An adult yeah. friendship, yeah. that stage of life yeah. friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but I have this sort of fondness for Charlotte and all of her, her like, struggles. <laughs> her privileged her struggles. struggles. <laughs> and the power cons- of privilege. I mean- Still Watching will be back in just a moment. When we return, we will recap the first two episodes of And Just Like That Season 2. 
I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. With access to so much information, it's hard to feel like an informed, discerning citizen. That's why on Make Me Smart, which is a podcast from Marketplace, we make it easy for you to stay in the know. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdahl. Every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I unpack the latest from Washington, D.C. The Senate Minority Leader has announced that he will step down as the Republican leader. What's happening in AI? Uh, I mean, don't buy at the top, but holy cow, artificial intelligence and all the companies related to it are the, the hot new thing. And we do the numbers. So as a refresher, inflation is the rate of increase in the prices of things. It's not just sort of things getting more expensive. It's a speed at which things get more expensive. Because in a world that's constantly changing, we all need to stay smart. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to recap? We had a Met Ball, Miranda in a Strap-On, and Teenage Songwriting. Since these episodes came out back-to-back, we're going to recap them separately. So let's start with episode one, Met Cute. Um, That's a pun, (laughs) if you didn't know that. pretty good. Uh, Carrie is sleeping with her podcast producer, Franklin, but it seems like he wants a bit more than a recurring hookup. Sex, a cooking show, a sleepover every Thursday, and it's great the end. Miranda is in L.A. with Shay and hoping their relationship is more than just sex. I thought that you thought that our relationship was just sexual. And I made a mistake coming to L.A. and taking it out of the bedroom. While the ladies are back to having sexy adventures, Naya is alone in New York and worries her husband is cheating on her. Feels like it is. And if right now was the song I was writing, it would be a breakup song. Meanwhile, everyone is preparing for the Met Ball. Charlotte struggles to pick a plus one as both Harry and Anthony want in. You're so excited. I never went to my prom, you know, because I had Epstein Barr that whole year. Right, right. I'm really looking forward to it. You, me, Rihanna. Carrie's Met Ball dress is in shambles, but luckily she has something in her closet and rewears her iconic Vivian Westwood wedding dress. And just like that, I repurposed my pain. Uh, all right, so we're going to the Met Ball, they call it. Yeah, they refuse to use the term Met Gala. I think which that's a branding thing, probably. Oh, is that like how uh, an ad has to call the Super Bowl the big game? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's exactly. Be a copyright thing, all your right? All your game day food. <laughs> um, I thought this was a really fun setup for an episode, a premiere episode specifically. We have the montage of all these women about to engage in some bit of sex, except for Naya. Poor Naya. Poor Naya. Um, But then we realize that there's also, like, there's a build they're going to be together toward the end of the episode, although we never get to see them go. Yeah. That was disappointing. (laughs) It was disappointing. I will say, in terms of the opening, like, the first scene and 
really centering all six women. It's very clear that, you know, the powers that be, the writers, Michael Patrick King, Sarah Jessica Parker, they were online. They heard the complaints that instead of replacing Samantha, each of the three main women got sort of their, like, magical black or person of color friend who just was there just to sort of pop up when they needed them and, like, recede into the background when they were done with them. And this season, there's they really sort of clearly established, no, all six of these ladies are leads. They all have their own storylines, their own points of view. They're all sort of on equal playing ground, I guess with, you know, Carrie, Sarah, sort of the lead of the cast of The <laughs> first among equals. The first among equals. Call that as in the as publishing was world. always the case. Yes. Yeah. True. I mean, I don't think that the show would argue that Carrie is not the protagonist, like, oh, yeah. ever was not the protagonist. But yeah, Chris, I think you're right. And I think also what struck me about this opening montage, like you just said, Richard, it felt also like they heard fan complaints because it's about them all having sex. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> everybody is finally having sex in the city or in a different city yeah, in, in the LA, case of Miranda. In and a hot tub. Even. And yeah, there's there's nudity, there's explicit content. Like it felt like a uh, hearkening back to the original show. Yeah, to think about how the first season, I mean, the big moment was, you know, big falling off a Peloton and dying. And this, it's like we're beginning with actual, instead of death in the city, we're really leaning into the sex of the city of it all. And then centering each of these women, I think it set the tone for a really, I don't know, fun and potentially more frivolous, more sort of like frothy and flirty season. Totally. Less about like the heaviness of grief and middle age. And uh, it's less about problems, about how, you know, modern standards of uh, PC culture are like killing us. And yeah, it's it's like the show itself wants to let you know, like, we're having fun again. We know that this is what you came to Sex and the City for. It will forever confound me that the long-awaited return of something in the Sex and the City universe, the decision was made, let's make it a 10-episode grief drama. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't exactly that, but, like, I always had held out hope that season two of this show would be more of a return to form because they had to set all of this... They had to do all the table setting in season one, and now it seems like, okay, we're established. We have some relationships, but we also have some people single, which is kind of what you want Mm -hmm. from this show. Carrie is dating Franklin, her podcast producer, who we saw her making out with, and I believe the last shot of season one. Which was so weird because it felt like at the end of season one, we were all supposed to be, like, waiting for her to, like, make out with this nameless guy that I did not care about at all. Like, who is Franklin? Hey, it's Franklin. It's Franklin. (laughs) I just looked up his name literally five minutes ago (laughs) because I did not know it. Yeah, Still sort of like no personality, really, really attractive. He, he, really. Likes, he likes cooking shows. But he That's doesn't really cook. Such a, <laughs> such a strange quirk. Right. Such a, a weirdo. Such a weirdo. But they, <laughs> Only I would watch a cooking show, <laughs> but not cook. But they address in the show, or Carrie addresses in the first episode, she's like, yeah, it was so random when I randomly kissed Franklin at the, you know, in the elevator. And I was like, yeah, we were all saying that online. We were like, <laughs> I thought they did a good job of sort of like justifying some of the weirder decisions that were made. And it was fun to see Carrie sort of in this sort of like low stakes relationship with like a hot, nameless, faceless guy. Franklin, I'm sure he's lovely, but there's, he's got no, other than the cooking thing, he's got no defining characteristics. He's not endgame for Carrie by any means. Yeah, and most podcast producers, hello Emily, are very dynamic, wonderful people, <laughs> yeah. so I don't feel like Franklin is doing a fair justice to the profession, but um, I obviously in this episode we see Carrie already getting kind of the, not the ick, but a sort of itchiness about Franklin like being like, hey, do you want to hang out on a Tuesday instead of a Thursday? So it doesn't feel like this is maybe the relationship that's going to follow her all season, right? Like, we're going to get Carrie single again? I would hope so, just because it's clear that there's not... I mean, her introducing 
Franklin to Charlotte. She really by accident. By she accident. didn't intend to do it. She yeah. absolutely did not want it. She wanted to keep her sex life over here and Charlotte and the girls over in another corner. And that was pretty awkward. It didn't feel like, oh, Charlotte, meet this very important person in my life who also is my boss or podcast producer. Right, right. A complication they don't really go into. I guess maybe the thinking is we're old enough. We're adults. Well, Miranda <laughs> says well, you lose your power. Yeah, that that or they just decided like, oh, we've had enough with like hashing out like the thorny dynamics of modern day, like life in these in these ways. Um, let's just get to the sex and the relationship stuff and not worry about like weird power dynamics. I think it's fun that when Carrie and Charlotte are, are walking, kind of doing their little debrief about who this Franklin guy is. Okay. How big is his dick? I'm not allowed to be me, so I'm going to be Samantha. Okay, wait. Uh Now I'm going to be Miranda. Uh If you sleep with someone at work, you are giving away your power. I miss Charlotte. If you see her, will you tell her that I miss her? (laughs) Yes. I'm just surprised. I think it's funny that Charlotte's like, I don't care. (laughs) She doesn't give a shit because she has that sort of funny conservative or whatever you want to call it streak a regressive streak maybe that was a really fun moment too because we got we got our first Samantha reference of yeah. the entire it's season. good for them not to pretend like she died exactly <laughs> right. it was Charlotte being like how big is his dick which Samantha would have done that way more artfully in a way more <laughs> punnier way I was like that's <laughs> oh. was a poor Samantha impression but it's definitely a podcast pun yeah. what uh, how's his boom mic or, I don't know <laughs> yeah. I don't know literally that would that would have been really good yeah but it was nice to, the fact that we address the Samantha of it all who is going to be sort of like the shadow over the whole entire season until Kim Cattrall comes back for one fateful scene at the very end Counting of the Counting down the minutes. I'm going to be really... There really... should be a little clock in the corner <laughs> of the screen. Like, like the Oppenheimer, you know, thing in movie theaters. Yeah, it <laughs> the eventually the like, oh, honey meter. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. How do we feel now that we're in season two? And one of my frustrations that I wrote about when I reviewed what I've seen of the season is why would they have Miranda be all the way in Los Angeles? Like, I miss them being together. And this episode, like, people are pretty atomized. It's a lot of phone conversations and whatever. Do we think that was just a practical thing or like... I mean, that seems to be what happens in a lot of season twos. I feel like it's a pretty common, you know, whether comedy or drama, a lot of the time, you know... You enjoy a show in the first place because of the dynamic, because of the group dynamic. And then in the next season, everybody gets their own storyline and it silos people, uh, makes them separate. Um, and then, you know, eventually they come back together. But I agree that especially especially since Miranda's storyline is just all about Jay. <laughs> <laughs> that said, you know, we get some... We we Miranda seems to be less sad and I don't know her life is less upsetting in this uh, new season. She has a fun little bit when she's uh, trying to relax in the sensory deprivation pod and it is not happening. That felt sort of classic Miranda to me. Yeah, humiliating. She always oh, gets. Oh, as long as Miranda's getting humiliated, <laughs> then the show is back in form. Exactly. She gets two humiliating moments. I think to Richard. Yeah, in episode point, two especially, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But I think one of the reasons they sort of cast Miranda to L.A. or they sent her there, it creates more space for these other women to sort of take center ground and it's more believable because if Miranda were in New York, it would just be Carrie, Charlotte, Miranda doing things. Like, I wouldn't really believe that these other women like the Lisa Ann Wexley and and Naya and, you know, and Seema would be as big players in, in their lives. But so that, I do think but that, that helps. But that said, I still 
I guess there's no reason that the show has to really prove that these women are friends. Like, we can just kind of take it as just, like, the way that it is that now these three women are good friends with the three Sex and the City women. Like, we didn't really see those friendships form as much as we could have in the first Mm -hmm. season. Like, honestly, I don't know if with Miranda in L.A., I don't know why Naya would still be talking to her. I feel (laughs) like she must have other people in her life that she can go to to talk about her divorce. Andre Rashad, the name that we hear every five seconds, Andre Rashad. (laughs) No, you got to say the whole thing, Andre Rashad. the whole name, Andre Rashad. <laughs> uh, but but re, Miranda's humiliation, I mean, the sensory deprivation tank, that was so, I mean, it was really funny. And kudos to Cynthia Nixon for really just going there. I can't imagine any of the other women really just sort of like. Oh, yeah, she's doing it. She's doing the nude scenes. She's being vulnerable. She's being she's funny. She's playing with strap-ons. Yes. Well, I mean, and that also re, the Carrie and the Miranda relationship. Like, Carrie calling Che and not Miranda, that, like, didn't sit right with me. Even well, though, Che does know Franklin. Exactly. It was justified, but I was like, ooh, I, I don't like this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would rather... And then Miranda's on speakerphone, and that was sort of a nice moment. But, yeah, I mean, Miranda playing with that really, honestly, complicated-looking strap-on. <laughs> well, Miranda has a history of Wild and Out in L.A., because in the original show, oh. she rides the bucking bull right. at Saddle Ranch, or whatever that place <laughs> is called on Sunset Strip, right? So, like, she, like when Miranda gets goes to Los Angeles, something happens to her, (laughs) which I I think is fun. Um, It's unfortunate that her plot line is so... Che, the, the reason she's in L.A. is because of Che, so she's kind of in some ways the passive party there. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I want her back at the brunch table. Oh, 100%. You know, with everyone else. And look, it can be six of them. It doesn't have to just be like a quartet or a tree or whatever. Like, I'm fine with Yeah, they get that. a six top. There's yeah. enough seats. Yeah. Seven is Anthony tough. can't come, but... Yeah, neither can well, Okay, thank you for bringing up Anthony, Oof. because in my notes, I'm, I am I wrote twice, like, they are just treating Anthony horribly. Like, you're invited to the Met Gala. No, you're not. Sorry. Oh, no, you are. You're invited again. No, you're not. Like, it just, I mean... Even for the way that sometimes Carrie and company treat people on the show, sh- sort of shockingly rude. It's very, very rude. I am... you can't you can't call him like after it's begun and say, "Do you want to come after all?" Right. And then Carrie's like, "No, Seema needs it more than you." And it's like, "What does that even mean?" <laughs> I They're am... both single. <laughs> I'm an avowed Anthony hater, and I've in print in our Who's the Worst Man on Sex in the City. I did say Anthony. I mean, fair enough. And I do stand by that. So I did get a little sort of shot in Freida from mm-hmm. seeing. Him. Mm-hmm. toyed about in that way. But no, it was ridiculous. But the, like, the meta commentary of the Met Ball was so funny and interesting to me because we've got like Sarah Jessica Parker, who is one of the like foremost faces of the Met Gala, right, in real life, being like, oh, like we can't go on the stairs. We're going to have to go through the side entrance and sit at Lisa Ann Wexley's table. And it was just such a funny, like ridiculous, absurdist enterprise that I didn't mind them sort of like toying with Anthony's emotions in that way because I was like, okay, this is, you know... It, it, it felt in on the joke in that way, too. Yeah, and also, like, the fact that these women are going to the Met Ball, the Met Gala in the first place. Like, yeah, I'll accept it. Like, why not? <laughs> yeah. Would they be going? I no. don't know. Who was the in? Carrie? Was I think, no, it was uh, Lisa, Lisa Todd Wesley. Oh, it was Lisa, Lisa Todd Wesley. Yeah. Oh, okay. Lisa Todd Who is, you know, just like a documentarian? Like, why yeah. would she be invited? Her husbands were super rich, right? Uh-huh. That was kind of the tension they had this episode, right? Yeah. He kind yeah. of offered her money yes. for her, her next documentary. $25,000, which is like, if you can get a table at the Met Ball, you can yeah. probably cough up $25,000 for your job. I mean, as as Anthony did say, it's a very relatable problem. What do you do when your husband offers to finance your documentary, but you want to do it yourself? I mean, look, we've all been there. Um, (laughs) In my review of the season, I kind of singled out uh, Nicole Ari Parker, who plays Lisa Todd Wexley. I think she... I I like all the new additions. I like Karen Pittman. I like Sarita Shattery. But, like, I think that Nicole Ari Parker best sort of fits 
the tone and cadence of the show. Totally. You know, and I think that it doesn't hurt that she has a sort of Samantha-esque voice. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you kind of, and I know they're kind of more setting Seema up as that in a way, but like, I don't know. Let, let's talk a little bit about the newer characters because, yeah, like you said, Chris, they are really trying to integrate them more into the show. I guess that was sort of a loaded word to use. Yeah, but, but it's true. Um, Integration all across the board. But we, we feel it. it was successful, at least in this first episode. I think it's getting to be. It's yeah. still clear that they have uh, much less rich inner lives than our main three, yeah. mm-hmm. which, I mean, is is appropriate. There were six seasons and two movies to establish Carrie and Charlotte and Miranda as people. And we've only known these women for you know, 10 hours. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I love Seema. I think that even if she's she's the most obvious Samantha Stanton, as you said, Richard, but I think that she's doing it well. Like, I think that her expensive tastes and her... Her personal driver, very big-esque of her. Yeah, she has, yes. she, right, she has a private yeah, chauffeur. Right. You know, her, yeah. her name-dropping, her yeah. ends with the celebrity world. Like, her I impulsiveness. Find, yeah, like, I'm, I'm finding all of that very enjoyable. I think that she's a good substitute. Wow. So I'm going to round out the three and say that I was really taken by Karen Pittman as Dr. Okay. Naya right. Wallace because she is so sort of out of the world. And I think hopefully as the season goes on, and if once we get Miranda back, because Miranda has to come back, she'll be more integrated with the entire group. But I thought Karen was, she was making me laugh out loud with some of her line readings. She's really good. Really yeah. good. I mean, playing drunk in like a funny, but not too much Ray. Andre Rashad, every time she says his name, is just hilarious to me. And um, her line about like the brown Yogi. I took this online yoga class this morning and this yoga instructor told us to open up and let it flow. And I yelled out, fuck you, Andre Rashad. I thought I was muted. I wasn't. No longer welcome at Brown Yogi's United. The whole show is about different types of like successful women who are operating at the top of their game, right? And Naya is sort of a t- you know an educator. She's like an Ivy League professor. She's a humanitarian. She's sort of a different type of woman than we've seen who you wouldn't think would necessarily fit in with the group. And we haven't really yet seen her interact with the group yet. Yeah, like again, given the way that their relationship began, I'm sort of surprised that she and Miranda are in touch. <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't Miranda right. love to be friends with like a black Ivy League professor? Oh my professor? God, Miranda <laughs> loves name draw. I'm sure that she loves telling everybody that she meets that she's friends with Naya. Oh, 100%. She finds ways to, like, include that in the conversation. And Naya is lonely. I think to have her sort of be struggling with her semi-estranged husband and and having that perspective in a way that doesn't feel, like, so belabored and so grief-stricken, that's a little fun. She's, like, getting hit on by this hot guy Toussaint at the bar. She's drinking wine. She has Erica Badu playing in the background. She's, like, still sexy and fun while going on this different journey. I don't know. I'm really taken by her performance this far. Heidi in a hat did make me Heidi in a hat. Why is she in the hotel room? That's and then uh, she kind of breaks it off, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, at least the beginning of, of a breakup, it feels like. Seema also ends something with her beau because she finds out he still lives with his ex-wife. And she finds out that he's on Emily in Paris and she's like, I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, we can't. You pick one oh, show. We cannot do it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a max, not Netflix. <laughs> that lunch kind of vaguely reminded me of when Carrie in Paris has lunch with Big. Petrovsky's mm. uh, ex-wife. And then also meets the daughter, mm-hmm. his daughter, and both the mom and the daughter talking about the Eiffel Tower, like, he juice, he juice, <laughs> you know. And um, But I thought that was a good, believable sort of dynamic for Seema to be in, like, mm-hmm. oh, I thought I was just having this very, like, chic foreign lover, and oh, I, he has baggage, and I don't want to deal with that, and so mm-hmm. let me get in my— But very yeah. uh, quintessentially European baggage. Right. Yeah. Uh, he said, you're so American, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate Seema's impulsiveness just because we got Charlotte and Lisa, these sort of more uptight, sort of all put together. It's these women who are like, how do we juggle having it all and raising kids? And it's nice to have a more Samantha, someone who is moving with her heart more so than her brain, necessarily. And I think Seema, like— 
She's fun to watch. I do want to touch down back on the Carrie of it all. And that Carrie's antihero showed a little bit this episode, but I in a relatable way. Um, with the dress? With the dress. Mm-hmm. She really This is a- why you don't trust millennials, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> to make— We under-promise or over— Promise and underdeliver. <laughs> under I can't even. I can't even say the maxim right. Like, geez. but it was. I mean, Carrie was rightfully annoyed, but I did sort of feel bad for the dressmaker. I mean, you know the. But also, regardless of the fit, it was ugly. <laughs> the dress was so like the dress. Like was even ugly. if it fit beautifully, I don't think it would have looked all horizontal good. stripes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't it love it. Looked very like. Does veiled know. beauty sound like a plausible Met Gala theme? No. Before they said Veiled Beauty, what did you think the theme was? I could not, heads or tails, figure out. Like, okay, so Lisa Todd Wexley, she has this big red sort of yeah, like, like little, little hats. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Seema's in all gold. Charlotte's like a Victorian villain from the 18th century. Like, yeah, Charlotte is like the Umbrella Academy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Veiled yeah. Beauty did not scan from the outfits. Maybe Patricia, well, Patricia Field is coming back at the end of the season. But You think that she could have brought a little more coherence? I would hope so. We'll kind of do a little fashion review at the end of the episode, but like I thought it was a fun nod to the past to have Carrie bust out the old wedding dress and the bird fascinator mm-hmm. because that was a stunning look and she only got to wear it briefly you know, as Charlotte beat big with the flowers <laughs> uh, or whatever she does. Public library. Yeah, I thought it was a good um, way to sort of tell us visually and then a little bit of voiceover that like Carrie is like moving on. Yeah, that I repurpose my yeah, pain. Like yeah. we are past grief season. We are going into a brighter future where we're not just going to be like watching a woman break down. Right. Yeah. It, a dress can just be a beautiful dress. It doesn't have to be so freighted with all of its, you know, meaning. Yeah. Speaking of moving on, let's go to episode two. Okay, on to episode two, The Real Deal. Here's the synopsis. Carrie's podcast career brings her to the territory of reading ads that she is not super happy about. Why won't you talk about your vagina? Oh, for so many reasons. And to be clear, it's not my vagina. It's everyone's vagina. Miranda goes to AA and tries to stay busy while Che makes their pilot. And I don't have a lot to fill my days with while I'm out here. So I'm really grateful for these meetings. Miranda gets stranded at a beach cleanup, and Che sends their husband to collect her. I had no idea you're actually married. Well, technically. Yeah, we're both such slackers. We never got around to getting divorced. Charlotte is pissed when her daughter Lily sells her clothes to buy a keyboard so that she can write music. First the Chanel and then the Chopin. I just feel like she's rejecting everything I ever gave her. Lisa's mother-in-law is in town and watches her son lose his cool at a racist cab driver. I'd never thought I'd say these words. But your mother is right. We know the rules. When we go off, they win. And in the end, and just like that, Carrie's podcast is canceled. I told you, sinking ship. Word of advice, Carrie. Next job, don't be so precious about your pussy. Carrie's stubbornness about this ad copy, that to me felt like a frustrating contrivance for oh, this show. That's you know, an anti-hero again. Like she's she's such the problem. She like she costs like 
dozens of people their livelihood because she wouldn't read. She destroys iHeartRadio <laughs> because <laughs> she won't media read. Ali Stroker, yeah. Stroker was counting on that maternity leave. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I did get really excited at the beginning of the episode, though, because I was like, oh, my God, are they bringing back the voiceover? I miss I the know. voiceover so mm. much. I know. And now it feels like they've just made a very principled decision not to have voiceover, and mm. they're kind of locked into that yeah. now. I know, and it's, and it's, it's like, a shame because it just it – doesn't it seem sometimes like there's dead air? Like, sometimes it seems like those clips of, like, the one years where they strip out the narration <laughs> right. and you're just yeah. kind of waiting for you know a faceless person to be saying puns um yeah. i feel like it would go a long way toward i mean not necessarily even just making this feel like the old sex in the city but just kind of filling in stuff that you know because sometimes the pacing is a little slower than you would want i don't know i i think adding back in voiceover would be helpful if the show had decided to go in that direction but yeah i think you're right yeah. that it's too late now it would be yeah. a nice connective tissue and some of the best sort of like quippiest puns too mm-hmm. from sex in the city were in the voiceover so i definitely do miss it and i will say recarry sort of like in episode one where we don't get the met gala we never got the vagina copy um, i was actually, so <laughs> i don't know if you guys uh had the presence of mind to do this but i uh, i paused and i zoomed in and oh. i wrote down the copy that oh, okay. well the copy that carrie wrote yeah that's exactly what i wanted as like we never well, got that if, if you'd like me to please, read it i could please, please, please. Yeah. all right i can't do a very good sarah jessica parker um but I'll I'll do my best. You know what's hard for me to talk about? I mean, besides the fact that I seem to be shrinking an inch every year? Vaginal wellness. But I'm going to talk about it now because it's important and because they're paying me to. I come from a generation where all that was kept a big secret. That, by the way, is in quotation marks, which I thought was a fun choice. (laughs) Well, here is something that shouldn't be a secret. The Oasis line of vaginal wellness and feminine products. From your daily freshness to your pH balance, these products have everything you need. And then she just wrote the word there, period. (laughs) (laughs) That feels totally harmless, and she would just record it, and it would be done, and she wouldn't have to worry about it. Well, that's the copy that she wrote. I guess the copy she was was a little more explicit. Yeah, but Um, it very carry main character syndrome refusing that scene with Franklin in bed where he's like actually trying to workshop things and trying to write and she's just shooting everything down and not offering anything being so unhelpful so unhelpful like not but that's the Carrie we know right that is that she knows what she likes she knows what she does and if she doesn't want to play ball she won't play ball and she destroyed a whole company yeah and being the most prudish sex writer slash advice columnist (laughs) you've ever seen which has always kind of been the case on Sex and the City like SGP was never nude, I don't believe. She um, had a no-nudity uh, clause in yeah. her contract. And she said in a recent New Yorker profile that she doesn't like to swear in real life, and so I feel like she transfers a lot of that to other characters on this show. Seema smokes, mm-hmm. so, so Carrie doesn't have to anymore, but there's still a smoker on the show because people <laughs> do like that. But again, I, I th- that's sort of why I feel like it was kind of a contrivance. This felt sort of fussy in a way that felt a little too metatextual or something. I don't know. And then now we don't have the podcast anymore. In I mean, honestly, I think that this was, yeah, that was the show's way of being like, look, we don't care about podcasts. We're going to just, Carrie doesn't need to have a job. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, she's so rich. Let's just let her live her yeah. rich life and like write her books and, you know, be out there in the world. Like we don't right. need her in a studio because the point of the show is the characters now. It's not that like old, anthropo- it, yeah, yeah, and it's not like that old like anthropological like right. We're going to have set topics that we explore. I do wish that each episode were a little more contained and uh, more thematic. And hopefully as the season goes on, there will be a bit more of that because it's a, it's shaggy. Like, And there are a lot of characters now, I will say. Yeah, yeah it, it, it is a lot and there's not the binding element to it. 
I mean, in this episode alone, there's no thematic linkage between Carrie blowing up an entire podcast company, <laughs> Charlotte having one of her kids sell their clothes to buy a keyboard, <laughs> and Miranda cleaning up junk on the beach and then meeting well, and losing her phone. Kate Hudson's brother. I guess it's vaguely yeah. about like learning to let things go. I thought the okay. tie-in yeah. was going to be therapy yeah. because that was sort of the big, like that's how the episode started. But then that clearly wasn't it. But I think yeah, I guess it's a moving on and sort of shedding things that don't no longer serve you, mm-hmm. it seemed, at least for Charlotte and, I guess, Carrie. But Miranda, again, another humiliation it's for Miranda. It's about Miranda sticking her hand into <laughs> a bunch of sea garbage. Sea garbage to find a phone <laughs> and, like, turning down pot over and over again <laughs> from— uh, I like that Michael Patrick King or whoever was involved in, in that was just like— no, the surfers need to be a little hotter. No, no, still hotter <laughs> more still. Abs, like, more yeah, abs yeah. on the surfers. It's Malibu. <laughs> yeah. What do you want? Yeah, I know. Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious from you two because we had some tensions with Shay last – the first episode about, you know, the notes from the producers of their pilot about, like, wait. And then we have now the, the realization that Shay is technically still married to a man. Seems like a big thing to leave out. That's yeah. pretty big. Do we like this relationship at all? Do we think – because it feels sort of – sour to me um, and I'm not really sure what we're supposed to be rooting for here. Yeah, I mean, I think that the show is setting up a fall for them, you know, like, Che rejecting Miranda when she comes to their show, like, right. not, mm-hmm. you know, being moody, being... Uh, I, th- I think, yeah, like, Che is definitely another flawed love interest, um, and I think that, you know, their role was setting up Miranda's sexual uh, awakening, awakening yeah. exactly. And now that that's happened, maybe it'll run its course. And uh, then a lot of people who uh, watch this show might get what they want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I am having <laughs> another season, another Che problem. Just in that their reaction with Miranda, like when Miranda um, called them out justifiably, for having a husband, they just sort of like shrugged it off, like oh, no big. Deal. Like there seems to be not that much weight there in terms of their relationship, which Miranda, I do think, clued in on on the first episode when she was like, "Am I just your, you know, your sex toy, or are we like really doing something?" I struggle with Che. I feel like Che has become big, and Miranda has become Carrie. You know, mm. like following them to a new city where she doesn't. I mean, I guess that that's maybe more of a. A Petrovsky relationship, but yeah, going to a new city where she doesn't know anybody, she doesn't have her community, she winds up stranded, um, and it's just with somebody who's like kind of you know pretty a little pretty narcissistic unav- and narcissistic and emotionally unavailable. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's putting Miranda in a position where eventually she'll have to come to kind of actually confront the fact that she blew up her life. And I'm not saying that she shouldn't have because, like, plenty of people come out late in life. But, like, but I think that Che was just this kind of, like, oh, I've never met someone like this and let me Mm -hmm. just get whisked away into their world. Which just feel realistic. Yeah, it does. And then eventually she'll have to come down to earth and be like, oh, right, Steve and my child and, like, (laughs) my whole life back in New York. Like, I'm curious what shape that will take because I don't want it to be, like, a whole glum, oh, my God, I blew up my life plot line. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. I also think that L.A. is not, can't be... forever for her. No, Miranda has to come back. I will say another, Miranda, been through the ringer, not that I forgot that she was an alcoholic last season or, you know, is now sober, but then we see her again like at an AA meeting and which was sort of a nice sort of touchdown to be like, okay, that's another part of Miranda's journey of like a lot of change. The continuity is appreciated. Yes, that we're like, we're staying on top of that. I also will say I was a little bit shocked. Chase Pilot getting a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of like meta Hollywood commentary Mm -hmm. in terms of... Like, is that what we come to the sex 
Sex in the City universe <laughs> it's for? T- for Tony Danza. Like, I was like, <laughs> there's a lot of Tony Danza. I don't want that to take up so much air that we lose valuable time with some of our other ladies. Well, because we're, we, we're describing the show as about six people now. But with Shay and a TV show plotline, now we're talking about seven, seven. people. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit much. And I think that, look— I have actually been to Michael Patrick King's offices on the Warner Brothers lot, okay. I believe, when I interviewed RuPaul. The Valerie Cherish tracksuit is on a oh, mannequin. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's cool. Hallowed ground. That's but, like, cool. if you dwell in that world, I can understand at a certain point being like, I kind of want to make some like a, like one storyline about this world that yeah. I work in. I get it. And it's fun for an episode. Yeah. But I don't think that we need to, like, know the ins and outs of Chase. Seemingly not very good pilot to be. I mean, given the like one joke that we heard from Jay about taking an Uber from the bathroom to the bedroom, I'm not really. Right. I'm not really. Uh, the strength of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like really optimistic no, about the pilot. No knock on Tony Danza. He can work wonders. You yeah. know, no knock on Danza Lions, which Dan- I thought was funny. That was great. Um, another another yeah. good laugh line this episode was uh, Miranda calling Carrie from the surfer's phone and Carrie looking at the phone and saying, mm, "Unknown caller." Better not be the Democrats again. Villain Carrie, I love it. <laughs> that was good. Which I, I, no, and I is think Carrie voting for RFK Jr.? Like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I do. I do think that the show is getting funnier. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's making yeah. us it's making us laugh on purpose. Yeah, Lily Eilish. Nice. That got me when Anthony said. Oh yeah, uh, we haven't really talked about Charlotte. We story should line. talk about Charlotte's storyline because it actually seems to be setting up maybe like a, a more of a season long arc in terms of like Lily is growing. Last mm-hmm. season it was more about Rock, right, and yeah. Rock discovering their identity, yeah. and this season maybe it's more about Lily wanting to be the next Stephanie Germanata on the upper. <laughs> Side. Yeah. And Wait. also Charlotte kind of coming to terms with the fact that her children are growing up and she, you know, gave her life to raising them. And like, kind of what does she do now? Which feels like an empty nester story. Seems like a uh, fertile ground. Yeah. Uh, Hillary, you have children. Do you think you'll be, <laughs> are, do you, are you going to jealously guard their clothing until they, I don't know, get married or something? Or? I mean, you know, there's nostalgia. It's like, oh, she was so small once. Right. Like, she needed me so much. Like, that whole story, it's, you know, nothing that we haven't, <laughs> that hasn't been explored on television and in media before. But I definitely understand the 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 heartstrings that that pulls. Um, and I, I also laughed at uh, Miranda's new L.A. friend saying that there was, at her son's preschool, um, a microaggression about a squishmallow. Do either of you know what that is? Yeah, I no, do know. I they're like pillows, me. right? They're, they're, like, they're like adorable pillows yeah, or something. They're, they're a kind of stuffed animal. <laughs> like a puffalump. Remember those? I don't know. Remember, remember, oh, I don't. I'm, too, I'm, I'm older than you guys. But <laughs> anyway, um, maybe I just made that word up. But, but you yeah, know, there are, there are ways in which uh, the show, you know, shows that it's, it's taking part among a specific milieu. Like, I think the references are less creaky this time around. Yeah. I mean, I don't ever need to hear like personality free Franklin say Megan the Stallion. Yeah. But Carrie yeah. B yeah. and Megan the End. I was like, N- pass on that. <laughs> we gotta pass. I just wanna before we move on, I want to say Re Charlotte, I think what the beauty of having like a revival series too, in terms of like her having difficulty sort of like seeing her children grow up is that we saw how badly she wanted them. That was such a big part of her journey Huge. on Sex yeah. in the uh-huh. City. And so when you like recall like all the tears and all of the, you for know, seasons and for seasons. seasons and seasons just sort of adds that layer, the foundation mm-hmm. of like, yeah, there's, know, pa- there's extra pathos. There's for extra sure. pathos there, which I appreciated this episode when you see Lily singing about how much she hates like living in her, in her, her gilded, gilded cage. Park Avenue streets, where do they lead? Stuck in the deep, goddamn, the power of privilege. You should open that second bottle. No reason or rhyme, lost in the climb, living the life confined. The power of privilege. I thought that song was 
very believably what it was. Do you know what yes. I mean? Oh, I believe that like a 17-year-old girl would write that song. Yeah, yeah. who listens to Billy, listens to mm-hmm. Lugaga. Like, like I, it just felt very like that was well done because it mm-hmm. could have been something. I, I, I'm glad they didn't make it like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like they got how it was teenage bad in the mm-hmm. right way. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. In effect, it was more effective that way because it was believable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think Charlotte did kind of think that once she got the kids and the husband in the Park Avenue cl- Classic Six, that there would be an end credits role and that would be life. And she's yeah. now like, oh, no, there's stuff past this and and maybe that's her journey trying to figure that out that was like that was fine i honestly was really going back to lisa todd wexley i really enjoyed that subplot um with her having like you know the mother-in-law from hell Mm -hmm. bunny part two but having like a a sort of a black bunny that's sort of do you feel like the you know the show trying to tackle you know black life do you feel like it was ringing True yeah, it definitely false? it definitely rang true and I think they're doing it in a way that is honestly pretty smart given sort of the echelon or sort of the milieu that these women live in where it would be like you know a big like aka sorority conference with a grandmother you know pink and green those are like very classic black sorority colors my mom my grandma and my aunt all aka's oh. um so that really rang I didn't true know to that me. Herbert was in the studio with us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right over there um but also you know, gesturing towards the past in terms of like there are bigger issues and Nana brings up Selma and, you know, like trying to be black and composed, but then also having Christopher Jackson being like, no, I was upset. Like, that's a real thing that happens. If I had a nickel for every time a yellow cab back before Uber passed me when I was trying to get to acting class, I'd be a Charlotte York <laughs> right now. <laughs> I hope that people don't just like roll their eyes and be like, oh, it's like a race plot where it's like, no, these are not the most important problems in the world. Not getting a taxi is not like, you know, the end of the world, but these are real things that Black people who do exist in New York City have to deal with it. I think it's a nice acknowledgement of that. And it would be a real part of, like, Lisa Todd Wexley's life. Like, that just feels like it felt yeah. real to me. I was nervous that after the taxi scene that then the the rest of their plot line would be, like, gravely explaining to the children. About racism? Yeah. yeah. And we I'm glad that. that they didn't – because that's beyond the <laughs> scope of the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's okay. I also thought we, in terms of the mother-in-law that it was fun to see Lisa Todd Wexley, who is – perhaps the most composed, fabulous character on the show now, be like, oh, no, there's someone above her exactly. who intimidates her and and is very funny about her clothing choices. Lion King, and, literally, I laughed and, out loud. And the head wrap and, like, you know, that comment was funny. And like, um, But again, and that felt classically Sex in the yes, City. Totally. This is Buddy McDougal again, you know, this funny. whatever. But it doesn't feel like just boring repetition. It, they found a different kind of angle of attack mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the three new characters are mirrors in some ways of their original counterparts. And so... Lisa has to have a bunny moment, and I think it was well handled in in the context you described, Chris. Yeah, it wasn't too much. It was it was just enough. Not too little, not too much, just enough. And I thought, yeah, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, good not to be hit over the head with yeah. that kind of stuff, as I think season one did, where it was yeah. like Miranda learning that, like... <laughs> I mean, literally, like, like looking up, like, Googling racism. <laughs> <laughs> like, Still Watching will be back in just a moment, and we'll dive into some of the fashion highs and lows of the episodes. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. 
And finally, this is the part of the show where we dive into some of the looks that made us go yay and nay. We're calling this segment Killer Looks and Fashion Roadkill. Oh my God, she's Fashion Roadkill. And our editor-in-chief, Radhika Jones, is back. And how lucky we are um, to have somebody in the room who has, right. attended, who has attended experience said event. I have. Um, I have we're attended. using a little bit of a rubric here. So I'm curious. There, there are a lot of opportunities in these two episodes to determine something fashion roadkill or a, ki- a killer look. Uh, I don't know. Radhika, I'll turn to you first. Like, uh, did one look from these two episodes stand out to you? Well, Carrie's look was yeah. very poignant. I will poke at the idea that she had not burned that dress tried no no that she had not tried what was supposed to be the new dress on before the day of the met that uh-huh. does not feel accurate to me right. although things do they can happen at the very last minute i remember being having some final tailoring done on a met gala dress the day before and being a little panicky about it so kudos to carrie for having her old wedding dress for the wedding that never happened yeah. in a archival box in her apartment, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> not in storage. Yeah. Well done, Carrie. And kept the hat with it. Kept the the, 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 first, the fascinator. The fascinator. Yeah. But I thought it paired really nicely with the cape, and it was a good save. So hats off to Carrie. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was clever costuming that they were like, we just have to make sure the cape is just the right complementary color for that fascinator from, at this point, years ago. I mean, that that, that movie was a long time ago. 2008? Um, yeah. yeah. I was pretty struck by Lisa Todd Wexley's Met look mm-hmm. with the kind of cage, it, very dune or and something the train, like that, the... that she then had to walk 10 blocks, mm-hmm. heaven forbid. I mean, I, actually, I mean, 10 blocks in that outfit is actually a lot. That, <laughs> I don't know, though. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of funny that... Yeah. <laughs> To there car was car that for big, 10 bucks. Yeah, there was that big deal about her having to walk in like 10 blocks. Like, that takes 10 minutes. Yeah. Come on, guys. True. Yeah. I know, but you can't get to the men all sweaty, Hillary. <laughs> you have to arrive pristine. And, yeah, but that gave us the opportunity to see how the Valentino flowed as she walked through the crosswalk. Walking across the street. Yeah, that was great. I was sort of like underwhelmed by the dress at first before she walked across the street. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's like sort of like a red nap dress with like a big sort of like <laughs> set piece on top. But then with that really long train, which she says when she leaves to go pick up her kids, she's like, the train can be as long as it wants. And then we see it sort of like billowing uh, like across the New York City sky. Line. I was like, okay, that's kind yeah. of a nice look. I don't know if it's, I guess it's veiled beauty because mm-hmm. of the headpiece, but that's sort of a the stretch. headpiece also sort of looked like acupuncture. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Radhika, in your Met Gala experience, how prevalent is the theme of that evening? Like, are, do, do a lot of people follow it kind of to the letter or is it really vague? No, it's all over the map. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my yeah. experience, I thought Carrie ended up doing it very, yeah. very on the nose if you knew, right? But I thought Lisa Todd Wexley looked great in the Valentino. I will nitpick one thing, which is at least in recent years, you actually aren't supposed to walk in for security reasons. Everybody arrives in a car. So in fact, our friends at Vogue can fact check me on on this, but I think she might have had a little trouble when she got there. But it's TV. (laughs) It's fine. We're going to assume she got in, got to her table, and all's well. I will say Charlotte's met ball look for me is going to be a fashion roadkill. Yeah. Didn't, didn't work for me. I like seeing her sort of get put in the corset. It was very Cinderella and stepsisters <laughs> vibes, but it didn't it didn't come together for me with the little top hat and the 
Personal. It was, co- it was costumey. Yeah. Like As a- Nina Garcia would say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is not aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although, uh, props to Harry for pronouncing Rihanna correctly, which yeah. I never do. I just say Rihanna. Yeah. They t- again, they're online. These writers, <laughs> they know. They know. They do. Rihanna, it's Rihanna, yeah. I mean, I know it's cruel because she was cleaning up garbage on the beach, but that that Miranda look wasn't great in episode two. Um, With a green bucket hat? Yeah, I mean, I get what they were going for, Malibu, Boho, whatever, but... um, but yeah, I mean, feel like poor Miranda has always had a rough go of it, fashion and hair wise, on the show over the years. There were a couple great seasons where she yeah. looked fabulous, but um, yeah, I will say I stand with Che in not wanting to wear that jacket, mm-hmm. that blue jacket, and then the blue Agreed. stripe. I, yeah, I can see why they yeah. objected. Yeah, absolutely not, not not a good look for them. Yeah. Oh, and I also want to call out uh, Andre Rashad's beanies. I, I, <laughs> that was a very funny scene that we didn't that we haven't mentioned when oh, I is cleaning up, throwing angrily out throwing beanies. out all of his stuff, saying I have I'm having a going out of Andre sale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, getting rid of his guitars. That was great. I can't believe she kept that. They kept that stuff as long as they did <laughs> in New York City. Who got to purge regularly? Well, no. they don't have a baby, so there's lots more room. Um, before we let you go, Radika, and because we're doing an inaugural episode, uh, we can think a little bit more more grandly. Is there a, a classic Sex in the City look that is your number one with a bullet? Like, do you have something in mind when when someone says Sex in the City fashion? It's maybe a little obvious, but I do think back to the tutu. It was yeah. so. It was it was so out of nowhere <laughs> at the time, and I feel like for me, when in uh, all through the first the original series, when Sarah Jessica Parker kind of pulls off these looks that aren't logical, <laughs> that are <laughs> extremely whimsical, that are impractical, I, that's what I love yeah. about it. So I'm in favor of the tutu and everything that followed. Mm-hmm. And what the tutu re- represents. Yes. Yeah. Radhika, it was lovely to have you on. Thank you all thank for, you for, for including me. And thank you for sanctioning this. <laughs> yeah, thanks <laughs> for letting us do this. Yeah. I think it was yeah. more like demanding. Oh, but. Right. Yeah, that's that's true. Yes. Um, but, you know, look, a lot of big deals are made in canon. I guess this was one of them. This, so. this <laughs> was the, are arguably the most important I, one. I agree. Uh, well, we'll hope to have you back at some point during the I season. I would love it. And if not, certainly on Slack. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. We haven't mentioned it yet on this episode, but we do have an email address, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. I don't think we're going to be doing a ton of like fan theories or like conspiracy, whatever. Who's going to get murdered? Right. Uh, Who's in the the coffin? Um, But we still want to hear from you. So please email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter for the time being at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Christress, C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. You can find me at Hillabuster with two R's um, and not on Instagram because I'm private. (laughs) Wow. Wow, that's really, that's special. (laughs) I have children. We did establish that. This is true. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Jake Loomis with mixing by Mike Kutchman. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next Thursday for episode three. Looking forward to seeing you then. We're making real progress, huh? The earth is already dead. We're basically just cleaning up a corpse. You're a delight. Let's talk more. We've all been there before. 
you're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.